1: What is up all of my beautiful freaking people welcome back to another episode of fml talk We recorded this episode so fucking long ago, and I am so Happy that it is finally airing It is such a good one. You guys dr. Courtney Tracy the truth doctor Is here with us today. So sit back grab your self-love journals and a cocktail. Welcome to fml talk Oh my Wait, how old was the other girl? 19, can you believe us, Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good <laughs> <With> book. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? <laughs> and this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. Oh my God, you guys, I am so excited. If you are familiar with Dr. Courtney Tracy and her online presence as the truth doctor, then you know why I'm so excited for this episode. If you are unfamiliar, let me rock your world today. Um, Dr. Courtney is a licensed psychotherapist, but she was also named the American Influencer Award for Nutrition and Wellness, the Influencer of the Year, uh, and the Anthem Awards inaugural 2022 best health strategy and health leader of the year. Her platforms and her videos have racked up millions and millions and millions of views because her content is so fucking relatable. She reminds me a lot of myself um, in the way that she's got no bullshit, no filter, but she also knows what the fuck she's talking about and is a licensed psychotherapist. Um, What I didn't know going into this episode was About her own personal struggles with borderline personality disorder, mental health, um, and how she came to do this work is fucking fascinating. So we're going to cover a lot of really incredible topics today. We're going to talk about her journey with borderline personality disorder, including splitting and idealizing someone to devaluing them instantly and how that can affect relationships, disassociative identity disorder, becoming comfortable with being empty, reframing what love means, identity to the self. Like, guys, it's a fucking, this is a golden episode. I cannot wait for you guys to meet Dr. Courtney Tracy. So let's get the fuck into it. Dr. Courtney Tracy, welcome to FML Talk. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have <laughs> you here. I love your content. Thank you. It's <laughs> like I, I've been sucked into many of videos. So when I got that follow back and was like, oh, my God, I can message her. I was really excited because I wanted to have you on the show. Yeah, I was.
0: I love that TikTok does that when two people follow each other. Then, Well, maybe I don't because <laughs> then it's like you can't talk to people. But yeah, I loved it. I love that, too. Yeah.
1: So what has it been like? Being a therapist that now has this following on TikTok, and wh- how has that kind of changed your dynamic? Oh, my, absolutely. It's changed it
0: completely. I focused on co occurring disorders for the majority of my career, which is alcohol or substance use and mental health. Mm-hmm. I worked in treatment centers in Malibu. And then I opened up my own treatment center, had it for four years, and that was like in the beginning of the pandemic. Then I downloaded TikTok. (laughs) And everything changed. (laughs) It really did. And I feel like that's the story for so many people, but it's interesting to have a professional career and then pivot to becoming an accidental influencer online. So it's been wild to the point where I sold my treatment centers last year, and now I just do this full time. I am working on opening up another one because I have to constantly be working as a trauma response, (laughs) (laughs) but it's wild. I've just been doing this for over a year and a half, Wow, being not a real therapist to all of these millions of people, but a voice where they can
1: rely on getting what they might need in any given moment. Yeah, absolutely. And especially during COVID when people were so locked in and didn't have necessarily the resources that they needed, that's become so important. I don't know if you're familiar with therapy, Jeff. We had him Mm -hmm. on the show. And it's like getting not necessarily free therapy, but people who like listen to these podcasts and find pages like yours, it's an outlet for people that can't afford to go to an actual therapist and sit down and have a session. And that's so valuable.
0: Yeah, right. And what's interesting is that I got picked up very quickly by media outlets. So Mm -hmm. I was becoming the therapist for the LA Times talk show and for the cover of the New York Times and the featured section more than once. That's amazing. Listen to this therapist about COVID anxiety, about holiday anxiety, about family discord. And it was wild to know that what I usually do in, in sessions one on one or in group therapy, I'm now doing too hundreds and thousands of viewers of these major stations Yeah, in
1: the middle of a pandemic when I'm just trying to figure it out myself. Right, right. When normally people are freaking out about work, you're like, oh, all of this is coming in. Great. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know what? That's really true. And it did really feel like a privilege. Yeah. No, I felt that way too. I mean, my book blew up on TikTok during the pandemic. So I was- Suddenly making more money than I ever had in a time where people were like, I don't know where my rent's coming from. So it's a weird, like you're trying to celebrate, but also feeling the collective weight of everything that's going on. It was a weird mixture.
0: Yeah, completely. I remember when I hit 1 million on TikTok and my mental health was so bad at that time just because of everything going on in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. My family tried to do this celebration for me like literally put my face on a banner that they were going to fly over Stop. Southern California beaches. Oh my that god. That said like 1 million with my handle Stop. and they were going to do it. Like it was all set up and ready to go and that morning I had a massive panic attack. This was November 2020 and I wow. had just I just couldn't take, you know, and this was like now there's a new variant and it's not going to be okay mm-hmm. and and it was really overwhelming even as a therapist and so I was like canceled it and we they canceled everything and I did nothing for that celebration and I th- actually thought it was really interesting because I think there were so many people like attempting to get to that point right like, mm-hmm. let's reach a million on TikTok and it was actually really debilitating their mental health
1: yeah and yeah I can really relate to that to me yeah. yeah social media is such a toxic like love-hate relationship Yes, it is. Yeah. um, (laughs) But I think that's one of the most real moments to hear you say like, yeah, I'm a therapist. I'm trained in this. Like, this is my job. And also like I had a complete fucking mental breakdown as like success online was starting to happen because I'm normal and human.
0: Oh my God, completely. And that's really what my whole mission has been, you know, calling myself the truth doctor. Sometimes people will anticipate that means like, oh, I know the whole truth. You should just listen to whatever I have to say. Mm -hmm. But The reason I call myself that is because I just want to tell my truth. And the word doctor actually means to teach or to heal in Mm. any given field. And so I find that it's really interesting that if I use my truth of my own mental health journey to heal or teach people, then that actually encourages them to
1: tell their truth. And that's really where the healing takes place. Oh, my God. That's so beautiful and so spot on. I hope this isn't weird to say, but you don't look like a typical therapist. Like you're sitting in front of me. You've got like the bold lip on, which we love here on FML Talk. Like you're hot Thanks. and like young and like you just don't seem like a typical therapist. Do you get that a lot?
0: I get that a lot. Okay, and so it's, it's not just me. No, <laughs> I get it all the time. And, I, you know, it's kind of intentional. And I actually think a lot of it has to do with the fact that as I was going – well, it's intentional. I mean, it is me. But as I was going through my teaching, mm-hmm. my master's program, specifically my master's program they teach you to sort of be a blank slate. Like Mm. wear the cardigan, hide the tattoos. Oh, interesting. Keep the language soft and keep distance from your clients. How do you feel about that? (laughs) How do you feel about that? And, you know, I I don't actually exist out in the real world. I just am in this room constantly. I'm just a therapist only. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, and I have mental health issues, right? It's like, I can't sit still. I have ADHD. I can't sit still. I have borderline personality disorder. I have emotions. Yeah. They're pretty extreme sometimes, never in session. But as a person, and I thought, there is no way in hell I'm gonna let the career that I chose for my life control
1: my life. Mm.
0: Absolutely not.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And it's so interesting you bring that up because I, you know, have been in therapy my whole life in and out. It's like, I'm such an advocate of it, even if there's nothing wrong, like go to therapy. But I didn't always feel like that when I was younger. After my dad passed and my mom rightfully put me in therapy, I had trouble like connecting with any of the therapists that I met until I was in seventh grade and I met my therapist, Deb. She had come to our middle school to kind of do like a group therapy, like extracurricular type Mm -hmm. class. And I will never forget. She sat down and was like, so how the fuck are you feeling? And I was like, whoa, she just dropped an F-bomb. And I (laughs) immediately was like, she was so different because of her irreverence and because she was so like, I'm going to talk to you like a normal fucking human and not like there's something wrong with you, like an adult. And as a seventh grader, you're like, oh my God, like finally I feel like I'm being seen. Mm -hmm. And I was with her for I mean, up until like my marriage was ending, we went to her like she's helped me through the majority of my life. Mm. And the special thing about her was that she didn't conform to that type that you're talking about.
0: And I yeah, and I love that story. And I think it's really important because oftentimes part of what we work on in therapy and I see a therapist as well, which most therapists should. I love that. (laughs) I need to. Most of the time in therapy, one of the things that we work on is the roles that we feel like we have to play in the world, mm. whether that's who, how we show up as a daughter, as a wife, as a partner, as a sister, whatever it is. And especially in your career, you do it for so long, whatever it is, even influencers, they know, they're now this personality for right. so long. We get into this place where we feel like now we are in this role and it is defined and we must be like this forever, but there's literally nothing in this world that that doesn't change. And so to feel as though we can't change with whatever it is that's changing in our lives is wild. And I think a lot of therapists, and I'll say medical doctors too- feel very overwhelmed when they have to spend the majority of their day pretending like they don't feel Mm. and they aren't a human. Yeah, And that's actually why I started the Human First Movement. I have this little tattoo. Over 100 therapists have gotten it around the world. They put it in their bios. They said that it's becoming a new philosophy for therapy because I've shown them and others have as well. But when they're speaking to me that I've shown them that you can be really successful. You can be really fucking successful and say that mm-hmm. and act however you want and still be respected. People used to think that professionalism couldn't be mixed with being a human. Right. And it can be. And
1: I think the last few years have shown us that more and more. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so funny when you're talking about that, I immediately go to that one Grey's Anatomy episode where they're trying to teach the newer doctors, like how to go in and give bad news, but Mm -hmm. like, don't be too emotional. You can't be too invested. You can't Mm -hmm. care too much, but like also don't be an asshole about it. And it's like, where is that fine line between professionalism and like being a human? Like you said.
0: Yeah. Right. And the thing is, is I think a lot of professions think that the way they are told to act in relation to their clients or patients is the way that they need to act always. And that is not the case. And I think that that's also something that my platform has really done is, you know, I've literally opened up centers. I'm on the board for NAMI Orange County, and I do many things in the professional realm. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge professional. And I dance around to rap music, wear my bikinis, <laughs> say fuck, have tattoos. And both of those things can exist at the same time. And I yeah. think it's been, there hasn't been someone that's come along and really shown that it's possible in the way that I have on my platform.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. Okay. So before you came and we were talking about like the topics that we were going to discuss, one of them that really piqued my interest because we haven't covered it on the show was borderline personality disorder. Yeah. I wrongfully assumed that that was just because you worked a lot in that space and knew a lot about that subject. Obviously you had just mentioned that you have borderline personality disorder. That's so right. now i now even more fucking interested <laughs> in talking to you about this. So for people who don't know what that is, can you give us a little explanation to start?
0: yes so borderline personality disorder is really a disorder that has to do with a lack of sense of self and identity and inability to control your emotions and that leads to unstable interpersonal relationships and a fear of abandonment Mm -hmm. along with some other symptoms of feelings of emptiness and we can kind of go into what all of these are Mm -hmm. and then imagine all of those things could could result in self-harm suicidality transient stress related paranoia or delusions. And so that's kind of when it gets to the more severe. And what I mean at the end is that something can go on in the life of someone with borderline personality disorder. And because they have unstable relationships, a difficulty identifying with who they really are and have trouble controlling their emotions, that can turn into the brain and body dissociating Mm. or becoming paranoid because we're so overwhelmed internally that we're not aware of what's going on externally.
1: Right. Ooh, Okay. So (laughs) where do you think the wrongful kind of like portrayal of borderline personality disorder came about? Because I think when people hear that, they immediately assume like, oh, you have multiple personalities and someone's just going to switch out mid-sentence and come and like be a different person in front of me. Where do you think that stemmed from?
0: Yeah. So, well, I think the word personality being in it plays a role. And so they've changed the term multiple personality disorder to dissociative identity disorder. Okay. But what's really interesting is that's in a completely separate category. There's dissociative disorders and then there's personality disorders. And for borderline personality disorder, the place that the name came from, borderline, is way back in the day this person was trying to differentiate between people who came into his office that he felt like were on the borderline of psychosis Mm. and neurosis. So neurosis is like really severe anxiety. You can't let anything go. Like you're neurotic in a way of like meaning nerves, meaning anxiety, stress. Then psychosis is more like, yeah, those delusions, that awareness of reality. And so there there was a mixture of all of these symptoms. And so they went with the term borderline. But that really implies that, you know, who are you? When are you going to act right. just like you were saying? But what's really interesting is that I think, yes, there is this fluctuation uh, that I think has led to a lot of the stigma. But what people don't understand is that they relate borderline personality disorder a lot to narcissistic personality mm-hmm. disorder. And they're two completely different disorders. They fall under the same, under the same cluster, mm-hmm. which probably doesn't mean much to most people but that just means that the symptoms are very similar. Here's the major difference. Someone with narcissistic personality disorder, the issue is really a lack of empathy gone wrong. Mm. For somebody with borderline personality disorder, it's excess empathy gone wrong.
1: Oh, interesting. So
0: it's having empathy gone wrong. And so we're so sensitive internally. Let me this might be a little rant, but I'll go into no, please. how I got it. Yeah, like paint the picture. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, four months ago, I finally got my diagnosis of ADHD combined type. And I think most people have an awareness of what ADHD is, especially if they're on TikTok these days, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but they were told me that I probably had ADHD my whole life and that's it's combined type, meaning I'm hyperactive sometimes, I'm inattentive other times. And that's, you know... Could be typical toddler, adolescent behavior, but it's it's not. It's disordered because it's hard to live with it. Mm. So my mom was a single mom. My dad did a lot of substances growing up. She had me at 19. No one was even talking about mental health right. in 1990. Yeah. And so she didn't know how to raise me. And she was abusive at times, verbally, mentally, physically. So I grew up in an environment where during the the prime years of development, I would say not really birth to one, but one to three, and for sure three to five, that's when you're starting to really develop a sense of self. Yeah. In your brain. Identity comes later, more like teenage years, Mm because that's more psychological, cognitive. But a sense of self is really a connective emotional experience. Yeah. And usually you get that by being mirrored by your parents. So even when you're a baby, you smile, they smile.
1: Mm.
0: You laugh, they laugh. And then you feel like you exist, Mm. that you are somebody that's safe and is safe to be around and, and lives in a safe environment. So I didn't have that. So I never developed a sense of self. I never developed the ability to be grounded long enough to become one person. And I am myself, but I don't know what that quite means yet. I'm still trying to figure it out. So a lack of sense of self leading to emotional instability. If I'm not taught coping skills growing up and I have ADHD and a lack of sense of self, then I'm going to be uncontrolled. So I found substances at 13. And they controlled me. Mm. I was able to control when I was up, control when I was down. And that became my coping skill. So then that led to impulsivity and unstable relationships because I was impulsive and emotional. And I met my boyfriend when I was 15. He's now my husband. We've been together for 17 years. Wow. And so he was really with me through that whole ride. So I have had unstable relationships, but I've had an A an unstable relationship one. Just one. (laughs) Just the singular. Just the singular. And he's been there with me through all of it. And the thing I want to end with before I let you go, what? That was a fucking ton. Let me (laughs) me see what to say. Is he told me that he could always see who I really was. He could see the self that I couldn't see. Mm. And he was willing to stick around through the infidelity Lying, the we both became very violent towards one another, and this was like seventeen to twenty two. So we were really young when this was happening. But he stuck through all of it, and I think that now we are in the most beautiful place in our relationship. We have a four year old baby boy. Mm. We're going to do IVF again soon, and we're truly, truly happy. And that's very rare. It's rare in general when when marriages or relationships go through something really overwhelming, but it's significantly more rare when somebody has a disorder like I do and the world's telling them that they can't get better. So Mm. I'm proof that people can get better and our relationship is proof that somebody with borderline can recover from their emotional instability and their unstable relationships and can find grounding
1: and love and themselves. Holy fucking shit, dude. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, and that's the episode, guys. Goodbye. No, that's wild. Okay. So there, yeah, you're right. There's a lot to fucking unpack there. Let's start with. When was it that you were – do you get diagnosed? Mm Because I'm very like – so correct me if I'm speaking wrong. Did you get diagnosed with borderline personality disorder? I did. Okay. So when did that happen and what was that like? So it was at 22. so, So this was 2012.
0: I was in college for my undergrad. And I was drinking and using and I went out to a party and I stayed out later than I should. And my husband was already married to me at the time. I ended up coming home eventually thinking I had just drank alcohol. I was so out of it. And he was like, you're not okay. And you stayed out way later than, and I didn't do anything that night, which was great. Cause he already knew I al- he always knew. And this is, t- I hate it, I, but it's the truth. It's part of my story. So I had came home and he said, I'm fucking done with this. You go to treatment now or I'm divorcing you. You're going to be divorced at 22. And like, treatment uh, for substance issues. Treatment for, yeah, just just for the impulsivity and just to mm. figure out what the hell is going on. Um, So I actually went to the ER because I was like, I'm not going. Like, I- I'm fine. And then I started to feel really sick, like I was going to, like, OD or something. So I went to the ER. They did a drug test. I had seven substances in my body that I wasn't aware of taking.
1: Holy shit and the, wait wait wait, because you don't remember taking them or because blacked out okay yeah but you did take them i guess okay yeah okay. <laughs> i really don't
0: know and so i was shocked in that er to find that out i was scared
1: yeah it's like a really big wake-up call
0: like yeah I, I could have died i don't know what would have happened if i went to sleep right. and so they're like you know let we we want to admit you into our inpatient unit for psychiatric care and I agreed. And I went up there and I got the diagnosis. And the thing is, is, I I was going to school for psychology at the time, but I was not really in the mental health space. Like I would go to school for psychology and then I would get fucked up at night. Right. And so I actually wasn't aware that there was any stigma related to my diagnosis at all. Mm. So when I got it, I had already been experiencing the symptoms for so long and it felt just like, I am a fuck up. Like, I am, it's gonna be impossible for someone to be with me. I'm never gonna get better. This has been so long of me being like this. Like, was I born like this? Right. Okay, wait. And in real, like, layman's terms, like, what were the symptoms that you were experiencing? Substance use, infidelity, anger outbursts,
1: okay. compulsive lying. Mm. Bouts of depression. Which on the surface, and if you're in a relationship in any capacity, like a significant other or a family or a friend, like that's something that where people look in and go, you're a fucking terrible person. Yeah. Like those are all qualities of a terrible person.
0: <laughs> yeah. On
1: the on the surface of it. And that was the common message that my husband got mm. was
0: you need to leave her. She's fucking crazy. This is, she, this is the eighth time she's done this. This is the 12th time she's right. done this. What? is wrong with you now now we feel like something's wrong with you that you would expose yourself to this yeah. relationship but so i got the diagnosis and it actually just made sense mm. i didn't know there was stigma attached to it i felt like thank fucking god
1: like there's a reason someone's looking into this yeah there's a treatment for this yeah how did how do they diagnose you with that like what's the process mm, to discover that
0: you know what's interesting is that i I had the language to describe my symptoms very well. Mm-hmm. And I had... My memory is so good that I could really describe the symptoms that I experienced for my whole life up until I started having memory. So typically, when you go in for to, for a psychiatric or a psychological assessment or evaluation... They won't really diagnose you with a personality disorder right away because it's too hard to know if the presenting symptoms are because you're intoxicated, Mm. if this is a one-time episode. But I was able to articulate it so well that they were willing to give me a provisional diagnosis of that versus bipolar and all these other ones that people may be diagnosed with incorrectly because they're too scared to give that personality diagnosis because so many people, there's so much stigma. People feel like they can't heal from it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So you get this diagnosis. I can imagine that you were just like, finally, at least there's like a reason and an answer. Yeah. So what were your next steps after that? As far as like, I, I don't know if this is the right word, but rectifying it or starting to like heal from it or change behavior. Like what are the next steps that you took?
0: Yeah. So from 2008 to 2012, before my diagnosis, I had only completed two years of college. And But I was moved out of my house, supposed to be doing college for those four years. So it was very difficult for me to get my feet on the ground because of all of my symptoms. I get this diagnosis. I get this ultimatum. And that starts my journey the last 10 years. From 2012 to 2014, I got my bachelor's. 2014 to 2016, my master's. 2016 to 2019, my doctorate. Opened up my treatment center in 2017. And I just didn't stop teaching myself about coping skills, the etiology of where my symptoms came from. So the causes of them, the development of them, and then finding ways to give back to the people who grew up in a same situation as I did, who didn't understand their mental health, their Mm. body or their mind. And if I could heal myself, then I could help other people heal. So that's the journey I've been on for the last 10 years since that day.
1: Wow. It's like really inspiring because a lot of people could have crumbled in that instance and felt like there was too much overwhelm to see the light. And you Mm -hmm. like went the opposite way completely. So, when you would, because obviously you didn't just like get this diagnosis and be like, okay, cool, now I know what it is and I'm better. Mm -hmm. There, I'm sure there were like things that came up along the way. When you would have those, you know, impulse urges or like, you know, the want to go cheat, how did you then? Change that behavior?
0: Yeah, I would say that the first three years were actually pretty hard from 2012 to 2015. And 2015 is uh, important because we got remarried. Mm-hmm. We actually had a, a wedding with our family and friends, and it was beautiful. And it's been getting better since then. But I would say from 2012 to 2015, I still really didn't have a sense of self. So I was still drinking and I was just coming home instead. Like I would drink. Until two, three, four in the morning, but I would come home. So I was I was working on one impulse at a time. Mm -hmm. The first one was, and here's the thing: the first one that I wanted to work on was infidelity. And then the reason why I was so unfaithful was because I was never taught that my body mattered. Mm. When I was growing up, I was exposed to a lot of situations that I should not have been exposed to at a young age. And so I had no idea the concept of love, of relationships, of respecting yourself and other people and that those were really hard things to grasp, not knowing who I was in the first place. So in 2015, I started on a spiritual journey and, you know, woo woo, whatever. Oh, we love woo woo here. I I really dove into, um, into Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism specifically, because I was working at a center that had a psycho spiritual counselor. Mm. And one of the best things I ever learned was that in Buddhism, one of the goals is to become comfortable with being empty. Mm. And it is. And it's to find the middle path or the middle way. And that's to not look at things in black and white. And one huge thing with borderline is splitting. And that's where I love you, I hate you, or, you know, those books, uh, I hate you, don't leave me or stop walking on eggshells. And, and it's this so I became aware that there was an option to not be black and white. I became aware that I had the potential to get comfortable with the nothingness that I felt and that the discomfort from that is what was preventing me from feeling alive in the first place. Mm. I was running so much from myself that I didn't think I was there anymore. Right. So that's really what started it. It was I started to respect myself. Yeah, and learn that I mattered and then having that self-empathy allowed me to have empathy for others. And allowed me to realize that I have an incredible loving human being that has stood by me for the last seven years. It makes me emotional, but it's like, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah. And I'll spend the rest of my life undoing that pain. And I know that I'm a different person. Truly, I know that. Yeah. And I wouldn't I wouldn't stay with him if I didn't if I didn't know that he mattered enough to me to never do that again.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh my God. I can't imagine. What would you say, because I know there's so many people that listen to this show who have been cheated on um, or experienced infidelity. What would you say if someone were to ask you, if you really loved this person, why would you continually make that choice to go out and do that? What's the answer to that?
0: I didn't. I didn't. I realize now that it wasn't real love. Mm. And that's important because he gave me real love, but I was so afraid of it that I ignored it. I didn't start mirroring it. One of the things with borderline is you sort of mirror the people around you. But I was my idea of love was so ingrained from my own upbringing mm-hmm. that I was like, Oh, yeah, I love you because this is chaotic. And right. it's distancing and we fight a lot. And, it's and we're constantly together. And like, that's mm-hmm. what this is. And it wasn't. And so and I just don't think that that is I, I think that Like love is truly connecting to someone and understanding them and and wanting them to be whole and wanting them to grow. And I don't know, just acknowledging every single part of of his being, of his heart and his desires and and his anxieties and his need for rest and what he enjoys in life. And honestly, none of those things mattered to me. Mm. I was 15. Right. Up to 22. But. I still said I love you first, and I mm-hmm. still said it constantly, and that's why we renewed our vows in 2015 because I really felt like I had a different idea of love. Yeah, and well, that... you were, and you
1: were like a different person at that point. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And so we've actually made the agreement to redo a ceremony every 10 years. Yeah, I love that small, not real wedding. You know, each time it'll yeah, be yeah, better. But because I've just learned how much. Values change but stay the same and how much it's important to reframe what love means every so often. Yeah. And for me it was important to really say that I did not love you when I said that I did, because love is so much more than just a
1: word. Yes. Oh, yes. How do you identify, like, how would you describe the self? Like when we're talking about like I didn't have, you know, the Mm -hmm. identity of self. Like, how would you describe the self?
0: yeah i think that that's really that's a great question because a sense of self is separate than a personality personality is really who you are as a person and how you interact and respond to the world around you and what happens self is who you think you like the voice in your head when no one's around Mm. your true core values deep down within People with borderline, I think a better way to explain it is that some people with borderline, they will constantly, sometimes they'll change their name completely. They'll completely change their appearance. One, like this week, I'm badass, Courtney. Next week, I'm depressed, Courtney. Next week, I'm, and see, that's not multiple personality. That's adjusting to the environment because Mm. you don't have a sense of self. Now, if you have a sense of self, maybe you're having a depressed week, but you don't change absolutely everything about you. Right right because there's a sense of stability and consistency when it comes to how you live your life every day do you wake up feeling like the same person every day even if you have are having a bad morning because that didn't happen for me Mm. there were literally three days in my life i specifically remember waking up and being like is this what it feels like to feel full and like a person Mm. and they were shocking mornings and it went away as soon as something triggered me i lost it again wow so i also think in developmentally it's the messages that you get from your environment as you're growing up right mm-hmm. or like and that's why i think we're trying to change the language with parenting even like are you a good girl or are you a bad girl right. are you a good boy or are you a bad boy and you know i think we we're changing and realizing that part of the self is values self values not what society or the other people in your life value about you but what do you value about you? And how would you describe yourself to somebody? Mm. Because for a
1: long time, I had no descriptors, right? Oh, my God. That's so it, it like instantly makes you feel very privileged when you listen to the way that you describe it. Like, I feel so lucky that my mom, you know, gave me the love and gave me the tools and brought me up the way she did. And that I had the upbringing that I did because now, when you're older and you can look back and, like, discuss it in such a clinical way, it's still heartbreaking. But I can't imagine going through it as, like, a floundering five-year-old. You yeah. know what I mean? When, like, you really don't have the tools to, like, know what's going on. It just feels shitty all the time. Yeah, and everybody tells you that you're shitty all the time, Right, too. right. How, if people are in a relationship that's toxic, like, because, like, mm-hmm. it's like a catch-22 where... People listening could be like, okay, well, she wasn't faithful. She was substance abusing and coming home at all hours of the night and like not treating him with respect. I'm in a relationship like that. Maybe he has borderline personality disorder. Maybe it's not his fault. Maybe it's not a toxic, shitty relationship. Where's the line of when to leave or how to find out what relationship you're in? I feel like that's an impossible question. So I don't even know if there's an answer for it.
0: You know, every relationship is different and i have to preface with that because i might be taken you know this advice may be taken as general but every relationship is different and my boyfriend's last husband should have left me a long time ago Mm. i don't even know when but he should have and i tell that to him all the time when we are reflecting on the beginning of our relationship. And I tell that to every person that asks a question about holding boundaries with people with borderline. It is absolutely necessary. And I think that a statement that I told Max to ever, that's my husband's name, mm-hmm. to ever use in the future, if my symptoms just, you know, they can come back. These systems are very deeply rooted in my body and my brain after 22 years, is I'm willing to help you as long as you don't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really important. And I think for everyone listening, keep that in mind. Be willing to help them if they're not hurting you. And if they're hurting you, then you you are not in the position to help. Mm. And that's really important to remember.
1: In any relationship, not just a significant other.
0: Completely. Yeah. And I think if, if you're in a relationship that sounds like your partner's doing the things that I was doing in my relationship early on, it's very important to remember that there are so many different causes to those behaviors. And even if they have a mental health disorder, it's not an excuse for the behavior. Yeah. So like, even when, you know, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial was going on and she was potentially diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, I talked, I did, I gave a talk to a hundred thousand people and told them all that there's no excuse at all. And I think what's interesting is people don't they don't realize that, you know, and then she's, and then, you know, Amber says, I don't have that. Like, well, all the symptoms were there. And the same thing with Johnny, too. Oh, I'm, I'm not a narcissist. Mm-hmm. I don't have a narcissistic personality. Okay. So, mental health or not, these behaviors are not okay. Oh, right. And F, they're never okay.
1: Yeah. Inexcusable. Yeah. You mentioned splitting Mm -hmm. earlier. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure. So splitting happens.
0: It can actually happen in many different mental health disorders, but it happens a lot in borderline personality. And splitting is when you go from idealizing somebody to devaluing them instantly. Mm. And it's a protective factor. So when I think about back in the day, when I was developing these coping skills and these ways of interacting with the world that were definitely adverse to typical human goals like connecting and being respected and respectful, I would open myself up to love from my mother. And then I would see that there would be something that was familiar that I knew that it was going to go haywire. And so I would just pull back. Mm. So I went from this, I love you, I hate you pattern to with my mother to then having that in my relationship where one of the really interesting parts of the brain of somebody with borderline, not everyone, but is shown in the studies, is the amygdala, the fear part of your brain that causes fight or flight. In people with borderline, there's a part of the amygdala that is bigger. Because it because it, it can sense threats more often and mm. it's needed to. However, there's a a part of the amygdala that's smaller, and it's the part that can detect threats in faces.
1: Oh, interesting. So
0: with borderline, we confuse neutrality with danger, mm. and that's because of everything we've been through in our life. And so that's why we can lash out, or we can become violent, or we can try to harm ourselves uh, to keep. You away from us. Right. And so that's something that's really interesting about it too, is that in the beginning of my relationship, and it's honestly still something I'm working on with my therapist today, but in the beginning, my boyfriend would make a certain facial expression. And I would be like, What the fuck did I do? Right. Like, why are you acting like that? And he and I'm detached from his reality. And so he's like, What? And I'm like, Why the fuck did you just do that? Like, I didn't do anything in this moment. Why are you so mad at me? And he's like, Babe, I'm like not mad. And I don't realize that because mm-hmm. my brain says this is a threat. This right. is threatening. And so now I'm at a place where I can say, I need a moment. Even when he says something neutral and he just knows what that means. Mm-hmm. And like I step away and I'm like, This is fucking bullshit brain. Like that knock it off. Like right. this is and then I can pull myself together and I have really great coping skills and and a new development of a system that's Healthy and has these right coping skills. And so I can shift, but it takes
1: a lot of work. Yeah, it's like that sounds (laughs) exhausting.
0: It is exhausting and it's manageable.
1: Right. Over time. Right. Yeah. Do you think people with borderline always have or generally have a specific kind of like traumatic background? So
0: we used to think in the research that it was just trauma. You must have had a traumatic upbringing. But the thing is, is that, and what we know from epigenetics too, is you can be genetically predisposed, you can be genetically capable of having a gene turn on that could cause a certain behavior or a certain type of nervous system working or something like that. So it's genetics, but also there's a difference between what we call actual trauma and perceived trauma. Now those words may make it seem as though the perceived trauma didn't really happen, Mm -hmm. but there's a difference between growing up in an environment that you perceive to be a traumatic childhood versus actually growing up in one. Now, for me, I grew up in both, because I grew up feeling very traumatized, because I was generally disconnected from my mother and every family member that lived in the house I grew up in. And so that's like, that's perceived. It's like, maybe she's just busy at the moment. And I take that as rejection. Mm. And so things of that nature can be perceived trauma that's real. But then there's actual trauma, like, you know, when she would physically abuse me right right and so
1: that's really important you know to know the difference yeah but so for people with borderline do they normally have some type of the real trauma in their background
0: i think it can be either or one. either okay is what it you're can saying be either got one. it yeah but more often than not the systems that we create within ourselves for protection Can cause us to enter into relationships or cause even parental relationships to become traumatic. Mm. And that's not to say, you know, if you were different, then you wouldn't have this life. Like your symptoms are causing this, but it just is a fact that that can happen. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. What do you think is one of the most important things for people to know first about? borderline personality disorder and like destigmatizing that. And second, just around mental health in general.
0: I think when it comes to borderline personality disorder, please consider that every behavior that we have is a normal human behavior. It's, it's not, it's out of proportion. It's not normal to have these reactions in most of the moments that we have them, but it is normal human behavior. It's just disordered and i just want people to understand that it really hurts <laughs> like it's really hard yeah and i think another thing that's really important and this applies to people with narcissistic personality disorder too is there's often this perception that we don't have empathy both narcissistic and or it's that the borderline person doesn't have empathy and that the narcissistic person doesn't care mm. and those two things are not true the narcissist is extremely
1: insecure
0: and feels so much guilt and so much shame after doing whatever it is that they do. They just will never tell you.
1: Mm, interesting. But
0: it's true. And that's what makes them act. It's an inflated sense of self for protection because they feel so insecure and and they don't want to be hurting you, but it's all that they know how to do. And so they're going to own it. Right. But they hurt too. Mm. And people with borderline that are impulsive and unfaithful and chaotic, there is pain there. It does not mean that you deserve to be in pain. It really doesn't. And just please don't forget that we are too. Even if you never talk to us again, even if you leave us, just please know that we're people. And we didn't ask to be this way. And it's really hard to change. And I think that part of the reason why it was really easy compared to other people to heal from this is because I was privileged enough to go to school for 12 years to understand this human experience Mm -hmm. better than most people with borderline
1: personality disorder. Yeah. I can see you getting emotional. Mm -hmm. Like as we talk about it, where do you think that stems from?
0: I think it stems from a misperception that every single person on this planet is not a human being. Mm. I think even going as far, you know, I'm a social worker too. going as far as like, driving here seeing you know people that are houseless on the streets people that are screaming on the sidewalk like those are people's kids like those are people who wanted parents who might not have gotten them who have serious issues and and have no help and have no help or just are so stigmatized and detached from the world and so i i just think it's so sad that we don't understand mental health yeah and that it
1: causes mental health to be worse Yeah, because
0: solely because of that. Like a lot of that is the reason.
1: Yeah. And I can see how much empathy you have. It's almost like I've talked about this before, but I feel like I have so much empathy inside me that like I can't watch the Sarah McLaughlin like dog (laughs) commercials. Like I can't I can't really tap into things sometimes because I know it's going to hurt too much. Mm -hmm. So I almost kind of like try and keep it at arm's length as far as like fully opening my heart up to some of those things. And I feel like there's no question like sitting here talking to you, like apart from the fact that you're like a successful therapist, you're so well-spoken, but like I see how much empathy you have inside your little tiny body. <laughs> like it's <laughs> very you. apparent. Um, so I think it's very clear that people with, you know, borderline personality disorder have can have so much empathy.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's really part of it. If you you know, you even explaining that, like, you feel like it could hurt so much to expose yourself to this thing that, that you want to be connected with. Like, that's my entire experience. Yeah. It's like, oh, you want to love me? Like, no, because what if you hurt me? Right. And like, oh, like, this is exciting or, or you're paying attention to me. Like, okay, like, now I feel too overwhelmed and I'm going to act out in this way. Like, Because I can't handle how much emotion I have and and I don't know how to regulate it. So it comes out impulsively and it's who you feel sitting here today. I was that person when I was unfaithful, when I was using substances, when I was violent. Like I was, I've always been this. Yeah. And it's good to know that, that I am this now
1: and that other people can see it you know because this
0: is underneath so many people that aren't well
1: yeah and it's seen in a very very (laughs) big way I want you to know how clearly it comes across like I've interviewed a lot of people and it's very like (laughs) sitting here with you is very powerful thanks if people are listening to this and they're like oh fuck like a lot of this is resonating with me like what if I might have borderline personality disorder what's the best way for people to go kind of get more info to like investigate that there's not a lot of good places on
0: the internet. When you Google help for borderline, the majority of the pages are for people who need help getting away from people with borderline. Oh wow. So I would recommend looking into dialectical behavioral therapy. It's the number one evidence-based treatment for borderline. I would also look up the the creator of dialectical behavioral therapy, Marsha Linehan. She has been I think she's spoken or we figured out somehow that she also has borderline but isn't too open about it. Mm. Those are two really great resources. And then I would say check out there is a podcast called back from the borderline uh, put on by my friend Molly. It's just strictly about borderline and how to like understand yourself in the world. Oh, and, amazing. And I respect that podcast. There's not a lot that are as clear as hers. It's very research based. And I'm on there, you can check mine out. That's great. Um, and then I would say, you know, not to promote myself, but I really would say check out my Instagram at least is where I talk about it the most. But my captions, my long form captions, I think could be really insightful in terms, you know, I'm really open with like yeah. this full process as it's ongoing and I'm really
1: available to answer questions. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, your TikTok content and the stuff on your Instagram, like it's not just about this in any capacity. Like there's so Mm -hmm. much mental health stuff and like different videos that are so clear and informative. Um, So can you tell everybody where they can come find you to start deep diving into that?
0: sure yeah on tiktok and instagram and youtube now that youtube has handles <laughs> it's the period truth period doctor and then just to learn a little bit more about my story or my career you can just go to the truth
1: amazing thank you so much for being here and for your vulnerability this was really beautiful
0: yeah thank you so so much
1: I told you it was a good one you guys. Um please if anything t- in today's episode struck a chord with you or inspired you, really go check out Dr. Courtney Tracy. You can go to thetruthdoctor.com. She's on Instagram, she's on TikTok, she answers questions on YouTube. Like she's really fantastic. Like the second we finished this interview, I was like, "Can I have you back to talk about other stuff?" I She's just the cutest, tiniest little human that has such an incredible story and so much to say. So I hope this episode, if you're dealing with something that we talked about, gave you a little bit of reassurance and peace around that and maybe allowed you to drop into the fact that you were experiencing one of the things that we discussed. If you're not and you are in either a relationship or a friendship or know someone that this kind of tracks and resonates with. I hope this gave you a little bit of compassion as to what they might be dealing with and how complicated and intricate different mental health situations can be. I love you guys. I will see you next week. All right, FMLers, if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. And if you're loving the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can keep up with me on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone or the podcast page at FML Talk Podcast. For all the merch and books signed personally by me, you can shop the FML line on eatpreyfml.com. And as always, have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers!